What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Lights Out F1 podcast. I'm Patrick. That's Claire. That's Jakob. Um, we have an off week this week. There's not much going on. The F1 world seems to be pretty quiet. But we do have things to talk about that we didn't get to talk about last week. So, firstly, let's dive into Lewis's contract talks. Uh, Jakob, do you know anything about it so far? Uh, I know they're offering him a two-year, two-year thing where one year is and one year is option where he can opt in. Yeah. And he also wants, I think he wants a ten-year ambassador role that's valued at around two hundred million. That's I right. think that's I think that's the sticking point for on Mercedes' side at least. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if they want that to be within the contract. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he'll sign something, whether it's a one-year or a two-year uh, deal. I think he'll sign something to keep him through 2024. Mm. Um, after that, I mean, if it's only a two-year deal, after that, if Mercedes haven't sort of caught up on Red Bull, and hypothetically, let's just say Aston Martin has, you know, I think there's the optionality of looking at Aston and saying. I somehow I somehow think Lawrence Stroll would rather have Lawrence Stroll in that car. So you know, Claire. I have yeah. something to say about that. Okay, so from like you know the little the other podcasts and people talking on TikTok and F1 talk whatever, I think there's a strong possibility that Charles Claire is going to Aston Martin soon. There's no way he's going to Aston Martin. Yeah, dude, he followed them on Instagram too. Lance Stroll has to go, okay? Charles needs to go somewhere. Where does he go? Aston Martin now is like a top two team. Why is that not a bad place for him to go? And then when Fernando retires, maybe Lewis steps in there too. How cool would that be, though? Yeah, but... I agree. Hypothetically, yeah. it's The scenario you gave us is cool. But I think, first of all, I think Ferrari haven't locked up till like, 2026 or 2025, right? Um, I think he has a contract uh, stipulation, though, that if they're not a competitive team, which is top three, then he can get out of his contract. Nope. Most drivers have that. that. Was, that was he doesn't Cybermax. have that? <laughs> no, that's no I think most drivers have that. No. It's not just you might have. I mean, I you might have. Like, maybe like you had like um, Lewis, Max, maybe a Fernando on there. But I think Charles would probably be one of those people who wouldn't have one just because when he was signed, there's no guarantee that he's going to be a super talent. He's had the same contract. He hasn't extended it or anything. So I wouldn't assume he'd have a contract yet. I don't know. Um, also, it's just bad press for Ferrari for Charles to be sad in the Ferrari. Yeah, but also, like, what's it's, it's a It's a it? bad look. Yeah. So they might the mutually part ways. It's a bad look for anybody right now. So. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, they'd be happy with like a, a young driver, like uh, who's who's. Uh, well, they, dude, why can't they're I gonna go and Who's a good person to go in there? Lando. They'll probably go and buy Lando. He's the next best thing. I mean, no, someone that like hasn't had a F one start yet. Yeah. I can't see Ferrari picking up a no, driver. No, Ferrari. I okay. can't see Ferrari picking up a junior driver. Because, yeah, no. like, it just doesn't make... Unless they were to give Mick a shot, but even that's, like, unlikely. That's so unlikely. Yeah. Because he's no longer part of our academy, and, yeah. like, you know, it was a big deal when he was so, so. Wait, this is just a random question, but do you think that Haas is going to become, like, the new junior team for Ferrari? No. No. I think the... Well, okay, because, like, Alfa Romeo, like, is going to... Haas, but are you saying that Sauber's more of like the? But Alfa Romeo also, yeah, but Sauber hasn't had feeder drivers since Charles. Like ever since then, it's been Antonio, Giovinazzi, Kimi, and then Valtteri. Now it's Valtteri and um, and Joe. But and with the Audi takeover, there's no salt. There's no good reason for them to become a Ferrari uh, feeder driver feeder system. Also with Haas, the good he does not really care about what he wants is their parts and their engine. Um, okay. Even that, I somehow doubt he's happy with because you know they're going backwards every race. So no, I mean, but to your original question as to whether Charles is in Aston Martin, not till 2025, 
I can't see him getting bought out of his contract till 2025. And I think if Lewis does sign like a, I think it's very hinging on whether Lawrence Stroll wants to get Charles or Lewis. And then the question is, do you fire Lance or do you force Fernando to retire? So, yeah. I mean, we know what the, the smart business decision would be, but that hasn't really on a, kicked on in yet for on a performance level, you're you're on a performance-based decision. Your obvious decision is to fire Lance and bring in Lewis or Charles. But you know, he bought he bought the team for his son, so it, it, the probability. Is I mean, okay, but uh, Lawrence Stroll does have fiduciary responsibilities to Saudi invest investment fund. So no, but, at a certain yeah, point, that that no, yeah, yeah I get your. That argument is valid, but as long as the, the company is making money, the fidu his fiduciary responsibility, his fiduciary responsibility is to turn a profit. He, if he finishes P two, he will f he will turn a profit this year. So I, you know, yeah, difficult to say. That's a difficult argument. Definitely. Yeah. And Claire, what are your thoughts on Lewis's contract situation right now? Yeah, I mean, I think he is finding his form again. So I feel like he'll sign uh, at least a one year. And I feel like the ball is in his court, really, um, deciding what he wants to do and just making sure it's, like, the right number that he feels comfortable with. And I think there's a lot of respect there. So obviously they'll, they'll come out with something that both sides like. Um, I can see a one or two year and then – he definitely will want like the brand ambassadorship because that's like the easiest job in the world. And he already like leaves in Mercedes. So unless he's going to drive for a different team, I don't see why that brand ambassadorship can't be a, a signing. Um, kind of building off this, um, I think we all kind of have this thing of like, you know, we all love the idea of Lewis and Toto being together at Mercedes, do you guys think that Toto is going to stay on for much longer after Lewis leaves? Because he doesn't actually need the job, per se. He already owns 30% of Mercedes, and he makes more than enough money outside of it. So do you guys think he stays after Lewis leaves, or do you think that uh, he leaves and goes like to actually spend time with his family? Because he does, I mean, that's something that he values quite highly. I can see him doing that in a couple of years, maybe when he can get James Val back, uh, Val's back with some actual uh, experience being a team principal. That might be viable, or he needs to find someone that can fit his shoes because you know there's no way he's gonna be able to like step back and like be letting someone do his job and then they do a bad job at it. Like then he would just try to step back in. I think he's kind of like a perfectionist to a, a certain degree, as you have to be in any one of the, these jobs. So. I mean, he, his family does get to travel with him sometimes, and, you know, they make it work, but I'm sure, you know, money isn't everything, and to my knowledge, I don't think he's, he comes across as someone that, like, is totally devoted to just making more and more and more money, like, he's made really smart business moves, and he set himself up, so he should just take advantage of that and just kind of take a step back and become a an owner as he, as he is, you know, but take, like, a real ownership role which means that he can spend time with his family. Yeah, could be thoughts? Uh, I think he stays as long as Lewis stays. I don't think he's... I don't think James is coming back. I, I mean, sure, we'd love to have him back, but I don't think he's coming back. I think the Williams project is a couple... is at least a four- or five-year project. It's not a... it's not a two-year project. And sure, if, you know, if Williams managed to get the midfield and front field, by the time Toto retires, then maybe James comes back. But I think he's, I think there's a reason every weekend now we see Jerome D'Ambrosio next to him, um, who is, I think he's now the new head of Mercedes's um, driver performance and young driver program. Um, so I think, because he, he ran, you know, D'Ambrosio ran a successful form, he won two Formula E World titles with Nick DeVries and Stoffel, so. You know, it's a real possibility that someone other than James takes over. You know, you also have um, James Allison, who's been doing a lot of the press conferences. You've got Shav, Andrew Shovlin, you've got Ron Meadows. So, you know, it, it wouldn't be a surprise if someone 
I think Mercedes is a big promoting within the team, so I wouldn't be surprised if James is not the obvious choice. Toto leaves, and someone from with someone from the existing leadership structure takes over for team principal. Yeah, that makes sense. Patrick, what do you think? Uh, I want to hear your thoughts on it. Uh, oh, even just like just like when Lewis, Lewis retires, just make him team principal. What's the big deal? <laughs> That'd be kind of yeah. Um, but I think that uh, I think Toto is gonna stay for one or two years after Lewis retires. Um, like whatever young driver he brings in, uh, whether it happens to be an academy driver like a Frederick Vesti, or if it's you know a driver who just needed more time, like maybe like Mick. Uh, I think he'll stick around for a couple of years and you know watch them grow a bit. Um, and I think Lewis is still gonna be a pretty big part of that as long as he stays you know within the Mercedes brand. Um, and I think he'll still always be there to help with that type of thing. But um, I think in that two-year period, you're going to see Toto take a much more like um, mentor-type role for the drivers, uh, along with whoever the new team principal is going to be. And I feel like when that time comes, uh, we'll know who the next team principal is going to be at least a good year beforehand. Um, but kind of on that same topic of like you know uh, Nick DeVries and uh, team principals, Franz Tost said that, you know, Nick, Nick, Nick DeVries, he has struggled this season, but he also knows how to win. Um, and so he thinks he'll bounce back. And I'm kind of curious about this because I think that Nick DeVries doesn't know how to win very well. Um, it's going to seem really weird because he has won so many different titles. But if you actually look at his history outside of his third year in both of the Formula 3s and his third year in Formula 2, uh, he really wasn't winning anything. Um, and if you take it as like a percentage, I'm pretty sure he has like less than a 10% win rate for those. And in his year of winning Formula E, he only won one of the races. He might be talking about like Nick DeVries' consistency uh, in Formula E and maybe in other ones, but I'm kind of curious what you guys think about the statement and kind of like, you know, how Nick DeVries' year is going overall. Uh, I mean, okay, so... We kind of came to the conclusion, I feel like, months ago, Patrick, that Rick DeVries takes time in everything that he does. Like, he's not, like, he jumps in and he does great. Um, so I feel like that could be this case again. Uh, but, I, I mean, I don't know if I see him winning world championships. And he needs to be in a different car to, to even win a race, I think. Um, it's very difficult for someone other than Max Verstappen to, to win a race anyway right now. So... Saying that he's gonna, he knows how to win in, in F1 right now is just totally different. Like, even people who know how to win in F1 like are having a hard time winning in F1. So, someone who's brand new, there's like, there's no, there's next to no chance that he's gonna get a win this year. Um, probably not even next year. Even getting points for him right now, like, seems. I, yeah, it seems impossible. Yeah, it's just like crazy. So I don't know. I think. I'm willing to give him more time in the sport. I'm. I was definitely disappointed in his performance so far, but we're not even halfway through the season, so keep chugging along. I I fully agree with Franz Tost. I I'm a Nick DeVries fan. I'm a huge. I'm a fan of DeVries and Stoffel Van Dorn. I think they're both incredible talents. Now, I think we're being a little harsh on Nick, given that it's his first. It's not even his first full season. It's his, like he's not even halfway or halfway through the season, and he's got a like a crappy car. It's like the worst car. And you know, Yuki has had more time in that car. Uh, you know, has had more time in that car and is able to do things with that car that Nick just isn't able, hasn't been able to do so far. And I think we'll see him do the things that Yuki is doing eventually. So I think we're we're judging him too quickly. I think Nick, whether or not he wills, wins world champions and wins a race is sort of irrelevant right now. The right now is can he do a, a decent enough job to get uh, points? And I think he can given, given enough time. Because I think historically, you know, unless hypothetically you'd look at KMAG and Haas, before they got the 2020, the new regulations, they were like, the reputation of K-Mag and Haas were like, oh, crash, crash, aggressive, crash, crash. And then you saw him with a half-decent car, and he pulled out, like, you finally got to respect the performance that, you respect the talent that K-Mag is. I'm not saying K-Mag and Nick DeVries are the same talent level, but 
I think if AlphaTauri are to give him a, de a half decent car, it's like a crap, it's a slow car. In the if you give him a half decent car, I think, and give him time, I think he can do just as well as Yuki is right now. So I agree with Fansfast. I see. Uh, I don't know. It's kind of hard to see it that way just because, you know, we all know how the Red Bull Academy works and how harsh they are with their drivers. Um, I don't think they take too well to drivers who don't score points. Uh, and I think we're already like a third of yeah. the way through the season now. Uh, I think, you know, if we look at his current progress, we might see him score points by like the 15th race of the season at the earliest. Um, and that's kind of late to score points. And he'd probably have to be scoring on a very regular basis at that point because they probably won't take kindly to being last place in the constructors either, especially to the team that has taken last place in the constructors four out of the last five years. Um, on that yeah. topic, Williams, um, I think uh, one of the things that people have been complaining about uh, fr from the Pirelli perspective is that the tires are too strong. Like, they last for too long, you can do too many laps on them. Quite frankly, watching everybody do an entire race on hard tires in Australia wasn't fun. Um, but I think one of the things that we're kind of overlooking is that, you know, on tracks where you shouldn't be able to do an entire race on hard tires, and everybody knows this, Alex Albon is doing an entire race, essentially, on hard tires. Um, so I'm kind of wondering, do you guys think that he's kind of being, like, his ability to tire save is being overlooked by people like Sergio Perez or Max Verstappen or even Lewis where like, you know, we're so used to seeing these people and how amazing they are keeping tires live for an extra 10, 20 laps where he's keeping a set of hard tires on for 60 laps in the Canadian Grand Prix. Yeah, no, he's definitely showing maturity in that. Um, probably, I just don't even know what to say about them. Did you see that on, like, their, their pole position um, for Spain? Like, you know how they give, like, a, a tire for the pole position? They didn't even change the track. Like, they didn't <laughs> edit the chicane out. Like, they didn't, yeah. So, I don't know. Probably, you know, it's hard to have that much spotlight on them for doing tires for F1. So, it's definitely difficult. Um, I've seen some cool videos of, like, what – the technology is that determines the tires and stuff. Like they roll around with like this this machine that goes around the track on the ground and like picks up all the the data and stuff for uh, the tire wear and I don't even know. I'm not into that kind of tech data stuff, but it is kind of boring when someone when most people when most drivers are just on the hard or medium tires and like there's no, it's just, let's see how far we can go on these tires, and then we'll, we'll see what happens. But with Alex, like, 60 laps in the hard, like, that was, like, must have been intense for him, and he held off a lot of people for good point scoring, so, I mean, kudos to him. That, that was a great drive. I think, okay, I can respect Alex Albon enough to the point where it was a good drive. It was a great drive. For Williams, and by by Williams standards, it's all a very good. Whether you classify him as a master of tire or give him tire preservation lev props at the same at the same way we give Lewis and Perez is a different argument altogether. When you consider yeah, he hasn't that shown that yet. Yeah, it's also He's getting look, there. It's, it's a Williams. There's less downforce on the car. There's going to be less dag on the car. That's um, the exact opposite of how it is. <laughs> really? Yeah. I think I just think it's uh, the way that. It's... So real quick, though, for those of you guys who don't understand it, uh, downforce is literally what it sounds like. It pushes your car into the track, gives you more traction, and your tires stick on the track more, meaning that your tires are stuck on the track through corners, and you're not sliding as much. The Williams car is notorious for having not much downforce, and it slides out of corners worse than any other car on the grid, even the Alfa Tauri. Uh, so yeah, no, yeah. no, no, I didn't... The tire I didn't, on that is awful. Yeah, yeah, I didn't... No, no. So, yeah, also, it's Canada, and the weather temperature, I think, for throughout the teams, there was less dag throughout, like, there, all of the teams just were describing less dag on their tires. So, like, 
yeah, okay, you give him credit, 60 laps on one tire, he's done it, what, twice before now? Um, and so I just don't think that, um, I don't think you can compare him to the likes of Lewis and, and Perez and Max just yet. When he does it in a front-running car, let's say with, like, someone behind him, let's say with, like, Lewis or Max behind him, then I'll give him credit for it. But until he does that, I'm, I, I can't put him in the same category. Yeah, definitely not in the same category, but uh, it's nice to see him putting a Williams in a place like that, in, especially on a strategy like that where it probably shouldn't have worked. Um, that and also, uh, he held off... Um, Espen Ocon and Lando for, I want to say, 15 or 16 laps. Uh, and he didn't have DRS any of that time. So, awesome drive. Um, but I'm kind of also curious on this, like, how do you guys think that, or what do you guys think of Williams' progress so far? Like, obviously, it's kind of hard to measure it compared to anybody else because they're still sitting pretty far back. But with the new upgrades that are made to generate more downforce, um, what do you guys think of them, and how do you guys uh, think of James Fowles, uh, his performance in his current role? Yeah, I mean, James Fowles walked into a pretty bad situation with Williams. Um, so basically any upgrade is going to help them a lot. They have a lot a lot to do. Um, obviously, you'll say, you'll scream, like, oh, they need a tech director, they need a tech director. So, yeah, that's fine. Um but yeah, they've been making progress. I mean, that's mostly just because Alex Albon's a good driver. Sorry, Jakob, he, he is a good driver, okay? And, yeah, I, um, said, I didn't say he's a bad driver. <laughs> Dude, you don't like him. I don't not like him. I don't think he's as talented as everyone. Let's play back the clips yeah, of old episodes. Yeah, I was going to say, we have clips of this. <laughs> <laughs> you slander like that him. man so much. No, no. I don't not like him. I just don't think he has the talent that everyone seems to think he does. He's a solid midfield driver, and that's pretty much it. I just want to bring Where, this up. Uh, Alex Albon in uh, Formula 2 was the only person who took races off of Charles during the, uh, during that season, uh, and he also pushed Charles to the maximum, where they had a, uh, the last race was what determined that title. Um, okay, but Charles, Charles, Charles and George drive a Mercedes and a Ferrari, and Alex Albon drives a world. Yes, he that's also because Red Bull. He couldn't deal with Red Bull. He couldn't deal with the Red Bull. <laughs> he was uh, doing okay. He was doing better in the Red Bull than Charles is doing in the Ferrari. It's just that sh- it's just that Red Bull system is anybody who can't not get lapped by Max is not good enough. And quite frankly, yeah, there aren't many people in the same car who won't get lapped by Max. That's that uh, true. I think but, Charles you know, would get lapped by Max. <laughs> I don't. That's 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 a bit no, of an overstatement. I, I 100% there's no way. There's no way. And Charles Leclerc gets met with lapped by I Max. Charles Leclerc. Hundred percent see that. You know, Lewis got lapped by Max. No, yeah, that's you know, funny. But <laughs> in, a, in, a, yeah. in what we in what in the infamous words of Nicky Lauda is shitbox. So, uh, you know. Okay. Just, sure. There's just no way in equal machinery that Max laps Lewis or Charles. George, I can say, yeah, possibly. There's no way in equal machinery Max laps Lewis I personally see Charles. George is better than Charles. So take from that what you will, but uh, I think Charles gets lapped in the same car. <laughs> nah. Quite frankly, I don't think there's anybody on the grid, say, for maybe Fernando and Lewis that won't get lapped by Max in the same car. I can see, I can, I can, I can say that Max would pull out a gap for Charles, maybe like a 10 second, 15 second gap. It'd be 50 in, in, seconds. <laughs> I see him laughing. That's, that's the thing. No, I, it, it's 100% believable. I mean, yeah. think about it, right? Charles already struggles enough mentally with the fact that he's struggling in a Ferrari. Imagine if Charles was in that other Red Bull seat and getting stomped out by Max every race. His motivation would be at an yeah, all-time that's assuming, low. <laughs> that's assuming he'd be doing badly in the Red Bull. He's not going to do well compared to Max in the Red Bull. You don't know that. You can't <laughs> say that for certain. You can't argue that if you give him a title-winning car, that he's going to do bad. He had a title-winning car last year, and he did, he did not. With it. <laughs> well, I mean, you can, you can split the blame between him and Ferrari. But... Oh, yeah, 100%. But, like, I put a lot more of the blame on him than Ferrari. Yeah, Ferrari started to tail off towards the end of the year, but... 
they had a like a super strong start of the year, and had it not been for the fact that Charles decided to yeet himself into a wall for three races, he wouldn't have had as many problems. So, I do think that Max would gap. These the are fighting hell out. words. <laughs> Max would gap the hell out of Charles in every possible race, and on a track like maybe like the Red Bull Ring, he would lap him, hundred percent. Um. Okay. What was the question? Something about William. Oh yeah, I was I just mean, asking. I was just asking I, about we, how they. Do we even need to talk about Logan? Like I don't know. No, he's doing Dude, worse. Logan than, Sargent is he's getting doing worse fired. Than <laughs> The only Logan Sargent needs to be fired. The only difference that I can see happening between Logan and Nick DeVries is that Logan's probably going to end up keeping his seat for another year if he keeps performing like this. Um, and it's not Logan because Sargent. it's not because you know he's like uh, some fantastic. Is it because of Durso? That too, but also just no. he brings a lot of American clout in, and uh, Williams. He does a thing. So Williams no, doesn't yeah, get rid of their drivers very quickly. Like they keep their drivers Here's for the thing. two years. So. Yeah. Here's That's the thing, true. Like, well, what's his contract? Mer- I think it's two years. I'm just curious. Then there you go. Because here's the thing with the see. American clout argument. It's that, like, if you look at, like, Logan Sargent really doesn't have the same, like, he hasn't embraced this, like, oh, I bring so many American fans, I should, like... Guys, Danny brings three. more fans sure, yeah, than Logan recall- ever would. Ricardo would bring more American fans than Logan Sargent. He's got American clout, for sure. Yes. Yeah, so, like, on a... Over, I just don't see him... I, I'd rather see, like, you fire Logan Sargent, put, like, Mick, or, like, Nick DeVries, or, like, Stoffel. I think either any... Or even Frederick Vesti. I think any one of those guys would do better than Logan Sargent is doing right now. I don't think I'd like to see any of the Mercedes drivers in that seat. Like, I, for, personally, me, I don't want to see Nick DeVries or Stoffel in that seat. Uh, Nick DeVries, I might have said yes to before, but now I'm like, no. <laughs> like, I really don't want to see him in that seat. Um, and I think... Nobody um, else is going to get that seat. <laughs> uh, Nobody else I is getting that, that seat. I think that Alvaro, a couple episodes ago, like, said it perfectly. Like, I think that we definitely saw Nick DeVries. So, yeah, he scored points in the one race that probably they should have scored points and people were like writing it off as like a super uh, performance for him where really it was like a pretty average performance (laughs) and uh, I think we might have overestimated him because of it and like his past achievements Um, but I personally wouldn't like to see either him or Stoffel in that seat and I'd like to see like a younger driver like maybe a Mick would be cool maybe I don't think I'd like to see Frederick Vesti in that seat maybe Taylor Share would be a better option Um, but I don't think that either. As long as I don't think either the Mercedes and drivers would work very well. As long as, as long as they have, um, uh, as long as their supply to engines don't take, Mercedes is going to have some say. They have no say. <laughs> I guarantee you, they'll Toto Wolf will get. He there for the longest time. They had they got George Russell in that seat and kept him there. Mm-hmm. They will have some. I think that's because th- also we, that's because Toto also still owned part of Williams. He doesn't own it anymore. Yeah, I think I think they will have some say. I think Toto will have some say who gets into that seat. I, I think severely doubt it. I think the relationship between James and Toto, they'll it'll either be Mick or it'll be someone else. But mm. um, I don't think um, someone outside of someone drastically outside of Toto's uh, sort of. Approval is going to get in that seat. I don't think they'll need Toto's approval in the same way that Ferrari or Haas drivers need Ferrari approval. They don't. Like for as much as we might say, you know, um, you know, Ferrari has some say in the second seat for uh, Haas. They don't. And I mean, it was openly said on um, Drive to Survive. And it's, I feel like it's the same way with uh, Williams. That like. Yeah, they might be an engine supplier, and yeah, there might be a partnership there, but they still have no say in it. I mean, you could see that with Logan Sargent. Anybody would have wanted Frederick Vesti in that seat if, like, Mercedes was actually there. Yeah, I true, but like, I think Toto Wolf has enough influence in that has enough influence to try and get someone that he thinks deserves that seat. So I think Mick is a possibility. And I also think, like, if you look at like Toto got Valtteri a seat in Alfa Romeo, effectively. Um, Toto got Esteban Ocon a seat. Uh, and he did get Esteban a seat. He did not get Valtteri a seat. 
Valtteri had to go out of his way to, like, Toto wasn't going to sign George Russell until Valtteri moved, but he didn't actually help Valtteri with the move. Yeah, but Toto and Frederick Rousseau have a close relationship, so you have to imagine that there's some, a conversation definitely happened. Yeah, um, but, I'd, like, and for as much as we might say that they have that kind of, like, pull, I still don't, outside of, like, the Red Bull AlphaTauri relationship, I don't think anybody has that kind of pull at all. I think there are some team principles, like two team principles. I think Frederick Vasseur has some pull as well as Total Wolf. I think for for the power, for the influence, for as long as they've been in the sport and the influence and the power that they can make, they have some influence over drivers and where they go. Hmm. So I just think that's how Formula One works. It's always worked like that. Now we can debate like who, how much power they have and how much influence they have. That's a whole other conversation. Hmm. But yeah, I think. Toto will have some. If it might not be a lot of say, but they will have. He will. He will definitely have some say in who gets into that seat. Hmm. Williams, if Logan Sargent. I still Sargent think that Logan Sargent is probably going to end up staying for two years. Um, I, I hope think, not. Yeah. Well, obviously you hope not, but um, it's just that. Oh, hello, Lou. <laughs> hello. Um, I still think that you know he'll he'll keep the seat for until the end of his contract and then after that James Wells will make a decision but i mean James Wells has openly spoke, spoken about this too the fact that you know the team is young and they're basically starting from scratch and they're okay with keeping a driver who's basically starting from scratch um he's willing to grow the team as a team with the same drivers for as long as he needs to and i think you know he's taking a very good approach to it uh but yeah I mean, we can go on and on about how bad that team is and the work that they need to do. Um, another thing I want to talk about is the Aston Martin upgrades. So we got to see them in Canada. Um, I don't know exactly what they're meant to do, but they took on a very similar shape to the Ferrari side pods, um, where they have a much more narrow but steep um, like kind of bathtub, if you will, in there. And then the area around the engine cover is now much more narrow and sharp. Um, there's before and after pictures on, uh, if you look at F1 Tech Talk, it's on there. Um, and so I'm kind of curious what you guys thought about the upgrades and if it'll keep Fernando ahead of uh, both the Mercedes. Uh, I think Aston Martin has always done a good job at, well, especially this year and last, or no, just this year, my bad. Um, incorporating all the the best of the different teams somehow they're they're making it all fit together like a crazy put together masterpiece um i found it interesting that they are taking something from ferrari it's not even working for ferrari so they can make that work that's great um i do think that they'll keep fernando in front of the mercedes most races um you can't stop him this year. He's been freaking doing great. Um, yeah, I mean, they'll keep bringing upgrades, and I think Fernando definitely is liking it when they bring upgrades, so no stopping him. I don't know. This is the, I think the upgrades are working, clearly. They're a couple of times faster than Mercedes on race pace and mm-hmm. quality. But Mercedes do have one more big, I think they have a massive upgrade coming for Silverstone, and then I think one more after that. Um, whether they'll keep Fernando ahead of the Mercedes, that's, that's, very, that's very difficult to say, because on a given race, Mercedes will have both their drivers up there, and... Ron Stroll won't. You can. You can. It's a good. It's a good probability that Ron Stroll will not be up there to be the road running for Fernando. So I think. Yeah, but I mean, we also saw it in Canada here, like, um, and also in Australia. Yeah, but George was, Russell isn't also, also probably isn't going to be rela- uh, like reliable enough to be. A I think. Look, you took. I, but if you look, if you took, a, if you pick the outliers, that's because yes, every driver is going to have moments in a, in a season where they yeah, but this isn't just are. Moments. This is just like throughout. No, but if you look at last year, George Russell was consistent. He did perform. He dragged in points. You look at this year, aside from the two incidents he's had, he's been pretty consistent. He's been behind Lewis for most of the season. He's sort of, he's been there. And like, you know, all drivers are going to have it soon. But the, the point being that the George Russell's probability Intrident. of being up front. Yeah, <laughs> incidents. The probability of George Russell being higher up there 
a higher and then higher than Lance Stroll in a given race is is a lot higher than Lance Stroll competing with Lewis. Oh yeah, and that's Fernando. why I didn't say the Aston Martins. That's why I said just Fernando ahead of the Mercedes. Exactly. So the the <laughs> problem is that if the Mercedes have both cars up there and they like they close the gap sort of in some ways to Aston, then Fernando gets into trouble because you know because like Mercedes have two cars, so that the strategy becomes you know a lot easier for them to get themselves ahead of Fernando, whereas Fernando can only do what he can do to stay ahead of one Mercedes driver. So yeah. it's a difficult it's a difficult thing and then you input and then you input uh, Ferrari getting in there and then Perez, you know, at some point if he does pick up his form. Um, Guys but, I'm I'm just still shocked at how Ferrari somehow pulled out their points finishing like in Canada. Like I'm sure you talked about it because I missed the episode, but like what the heck? How, like I was just like no way, they're just going to stay out. Like, that could be uh, bad. So actually, or that could be good. Uh, Jakob says that he doesn't know how Ferrari saw this as a good, uh, saw that as a good day. <laughs> so. it's, I don't it's, know. It's so. a good day because they got points when they were, yeah, like, yeah. I mean, starting, I look, like... I did, look, I did, talk to a, I did talk to one of my good friends after, after I recorded the podcast. And, you know, from a Ferrari perspective... That's a great like, day. You adjust your expectations. Recovery, And then yeah. you say, okay, it's a good day for them. But in a larger scale of things, it wasn't a good day for them. No, in I mean, but it was the best possible after that horrible qualifying. Yeah, the, yeah but you can blame qualifying on them. You can blame, mm-hmm. uh, you can blame qualifying on, like, their, their decisions, the decisions that they made. You can blame Carlos. I think Carlos had the penalty, right, on Ferrari. On Ferrari's strategies, you can blame literally the entire weekend on Ferrari, and then yes, yeah, yeah. it was a good recovery drive to fourth and fifth, but you were still, I think, twenty seconds behind Lewis, um, and the only solace you can take from that is that Perez couldn't catch you. But and yeah. but you can you can lay, almost lay that down to Perez is just driving like shit right. Now. So yeah, yeah. this is also something I want to talk about. It's so um, sad. It feels like we said before that Ferrari are so scared to mess up that they're not willing to move forward anymore. But it also feels the same way with their drivers. Um, like, yeah, you could pin it down to the drivers being not confident with their team anymore. But, like, I think you see it from any of the decent drivers on the grid. Like, um, even Alex Albon, like, you see it where they actually take decisions into their own hands a lot of times. Like, some t- like engineers ask questions and they make demands in the middle of a race where even the drivers for Ferrari now are like just like yeah we'll go with whatever you guys do like it's not even them making decisions anymore it's like yeah we'll just do it like this and like that's how they do it where like you know uh, I think a good example is like George Russell was only at Mercedes for a year last year not even a full year and we saw in uh, Zandvoort where he was like you know he forced himself into the pits and said give me soft tires like Ferrari's not willing to do that they're not willing to do it and their drivers aren't willing to do it and I think that lack of uh, I think that, you know, persistence of indecision from them is what's hurting them so badly. Because it doesn't even feel like they have an upgrade path right now. Like, they, they yeah. don't, like their upgrade feels like a backstep. And I think we can all see that. Um, and so it feels like that... Well, I mean, didn't you say that it was, like, a, a, a lateral step, yeah. move? It, they, they pulled a McLaren in that, like, they tried to move sideways, so that way they have the potential to move forward. Well, I don't know. And <laughs> it just didn't work. Um, but, uh, one of the last things I want to talk about here was, um, strategy. Uh, it feels like, you know, teams are doing the same thing throughout every free practice, like, all teams are doing the same thing, and then all teams use the exact same tire strategy, and they all end out the race the same way. Even when there's safety car measures like that, like, um, let's say Australia, where there were three safety cars, everybody moves to the same tires, right? Obviously, Australia was a weird one in that yeah. everybody did the same thing, but outside of Bahrain, everybody's followed the same strategy every single race. And so I'm kind of curious, That's like... Cool. Huh? Go ask your question. Yeah, sorry. sorry. So, <laughs> do you guys uh, do you guys think that, you know, there should be some way that to, like, force the teams to mix up their strategies? Do you think this could be because people within... Okay, so you don't have to start on the tires you qualified with anymore. So do you think that's sort of a problem? 
Like, people are, like, they're all just choosing, like, the better race start tires. Yeah, I mean, No, not, but, like... Isn't that how it always is? Like, people will start on the harder tires and then just move to another set of harder yeah. tires. Well, yeah. yeah, it's always been, like... Even with, like, the... Like, for example, the um, the policy where you had... You start on the tire you qualified on. Mm-hmm. Like the top teams usually did the first run on mediums, then you go, your Q3 is on softs. But the top teams have enough of speed to keep the softs on, go the lot, go, and then convert their strategy into whatever yeah. whatever the goal is. I but think, sometimes that would mean that the midfield was starting on softs because yeah, they're trying well, to get through the Q2, true, which was yeah, kind of interesting. True, yeah, but the midfield, I think after P10, you had your free choice, free choice of tires. And if you look at it from a uh, position, look at it from a team perspective, you had you would have, let, let's just say, take 2020, for example, Mercedes front row, Red Bull second row, Ferrari third row. That's six That's six spots already taken by teams that can pull out a gap and then convert a soft tire strategy into um, like a longer, a reliable strategy. And the last four, you know, variety between Renault, McLaren, teams that can convert, can reasonably convert a, real, a soft tire. Usually those teams will be starting on mediums because, you know, they're trying to go longer. Um, but, you know, in some cases, soft. So I think, I think that's just Formula 1. It's historically been that all these teams sort of follow the same strategy. It's a safe strategy. In some cases, you had Mercedes who would run the risky strategy, put put Lewis onto mediums, and then have him chase down Max, or, you know, the opposite, with or with put Max onto Sauce and see if he could catch Lewis. So, you know, it's that's just Formula 1. I think I think Bridgestone have officially made a bid to um, be a tire manufacturer from 2026. So I'm mm. excited to see how this how that pans out. But um, you know, Pirelli. I think it's, Pirelli. Yeah. It's just difficult for Pirelli. You give you want tires that aren't that are super. Like sometimes you want tires that are super reliable. Sometimes you want tires that are reliable. So you know. Between the, what the teams ask, what Formula One wants, what the FMA wants, it's difficult for them. It's always going to be difficult for, for one tire manufacturer, and then having two or more tire manufacturers just isn't great either. So it's just like a, it's it's not no one's going to really win out of the situation. Um, it's it's asking a lot for a tire manufacturer to be perfect every weekend and make the right decisions for things that are like kind of unknown, like weather and I mean there's only so much that they can like get perfect with like the right tire range i guess um i guess my, I don't know. Like, the real thing is like um previous to this new regulation the tires were smaller uh and they had a lot more problems but i also think that those problems presented opportunity for their team right like when you had yeah. 2021 max and lance where their one of their tires would just blow out because they tried to overextend a strategy like that's both pirelli's fault and the team's fault because you guys tried to extend yeah. a tire that shouldn't have been extended, right? And I think, like, when teams, like, nowadays, teams don't have to say, you know, let's go for broke and throw on a set of soft tires and hope it doesn't, like, explode, because they don't do that anymore. Um, and I think, like, in that fashion, it kind of took the, the risk and the excitement out of the whole tire part, and really the only way that other, like, the lower teams had a chance to get points, right? Where I think, yeah, yeah. Sorry, you're good. Oh, uh, go ahead. I- I think that's the whole. Next year they're doing, or they're planning to do no tire blankets. Yeah, right now they're seven, like and this year there's no tire. Next year there's gonna be no tire blankets. Yeah, I so like I it. think they're. I think the drivers, all the drivers have complained about it. All the ones who have done the testing for it, and some of the teams have complained. I I think um, Red Bull's technical head, uh, Pierre something, Awashi, uh, I think he complained. Um, James Allison said it's going to be a journey. It's going to be a difficult path to for us to achieve that goal. And if if it ends up ends up happening, we'll see how that uh, in, um, sort of um, sort of affects quality and then um, the race. Because quality, if you're not doing tire blankets, that means at least two to three warm up laps. Whereas right now they mm-hmm. do one. I mean, even Max like. Like he goes out there, doesn't do a doesn't do a prep lap, just goes for the lap. 
but without any tire blankets, you're going to see him do at least one or two warm-up laps, prep laps, before he can actually go and do his quality lap. So, you know, we'll see how that affects strategy and tire um, strategy in the next season, but if that goes through. But I think this is just one of the cycles of Formula 1 where you're not, there's not a lot. Most teams don't want to risk what they're, the points that they're getting, and so, you know, you go for the safe, reliable strategy. Yeah. Um, kind of just wrapping it up, the... Do you guys think that, you know, Pirelli are caught in this dilemma of we want to make the, like, want to make more exciting tires or tire regulations, so that way there's more risk involved, but also, like, we can't do that because the teams would get frustrated at how much it would cost them for the crashes that might occur? I mean, we are in an age of cost cap where, like, you know, if Max had this issue where his tire blew out in the middle of a race and his car got damaged, then can you blame that on Pirelli? Sorry, Red Bull used to break in the cross cap, so it's not a big deal. <laughs> no, I think, yeah. listen, it's more about, it's not even about the cost cap. It's more about just the amount of, like, negative stuff that the teams always, like, I remember in 2020 when, um, I think it was at the British Grand Prix, when Valtteri's tire blew out, um, Carlos' tire blew out, and then Lewis's tire. And they were all like, yeah, that has to be a Pirelli issue, which I think and, it was, right? And they just, like, the teams went in on Pirelli. They just, as soon as a tire malfunction happens, it's like, we're going to blame Pirelli. Well, and the thing is, like, those, I, like, the teams could see that happening and never change the strategy. And, yeah, you could blame Pirelli for not making a strong enough tire, but at the same time, like, in my opinion on that case, it adds to the spectacle, like, and it adds to the strategy. Yeah. It, it, they pushed those tires for a good six or seven laps longer than they were supposed to, and that's the result they got. Lewis having to drag a very damaged car past the finish line. Like, that's yeah. what they opted for, and so, like, that's where my head's at. Like, if that if they choose to do that and choose to destroy their own tires and then thus subsequently take damage on their car because they couldn't make a better decision, then I feel like that's on them and not on Pirelli. And I feel like maybe... Pirelli takes too much heat for, like, used to take. No, yeah, I agree. With now, you. I agree. Now it's with like you. I they're Pirelli... now Pirelli's like Ferrari. They're they're so <laughs> afraid to mess up that the tires are too good and nobody can. Yeah, I think Pirelli should just like make like just like I don't know, just make risky tires. That's all you need to do. And like at the end of the day, if if a team, you know, push... Because I, I think at the beginning of every race weekend, Pirelli say, this tire can... The hard tire can do this. Our estimate is this number of laps, this number of laps to the medium, this number of laps to the softs. And, you know, if the teams to decide to push that envelope by a, a, by a mile and a half, then that's on the team. Let's just say yeah. the hard tire can do 50, but it fails at 45. Then, okay, you can say Pirelli had... What the hell was that? But, historically, that has never happened. Um, so, you know, if it fails at lap 55, 56, then you can say, you know what, Pirelli can say, you know what, we told you 50 laps, you pushed it to 55, 56, that's not on us. Yeah, do you think that they should move, like, so every, you know, they change it in the range, right? They move it through the range, right? Should they just not have these harder tires at the end of the range? And, like, do they need to eliminate one of the, the tire categories on the harder range? I don't actually have a problem with the range. The problem is the choice of the range, right? Like yeah, that's uh, what example, I'm saying. So in Bahrain, they should you have to have different. the hardest ones because Bahrain shreds up tires like you couldn't imagine. And Bahrain's actually fun to watch because nobody runs the same strategy. Like some people mm -hmm. run medium, medium, hard. Some people run hard, medium, hard. Some people run soft, hard, hard, right? But nobody runs the same strategy there. I feel like, but like on a lot of the other tracks where tire deck isn't a massive issue the they should go to the softer exactly, side range yeah instead of like you know let's say that it's so supposed to be Pirelli like, choosing yeah that though. let's say it's going to be smoking hot in um silverstone right don't give them harder tires just because it's going to be smoking hot if you already had it set at like let's just say the second to softest tires and those tires now are going to last like 10 laps less that doesn't matter. The teams are going to have to deal with that. But, like, I feel like right now the teams are so fixated on getting what they want out of Pirelli. And Pirelli being so terrified of losing that spot as, like, you know, F1's main tire manufacturer. That they'll just give them a harder set of tires. And it's the most frustrating thing. And it's like, okay, well, now we get these one-stop strategies again. 
Yeah. yeah. I think we should just let the teams let at the beginning of the year let the teams pick their pick the pick the uh selection the tire tires. Yeah. And then don't let and them then, change. Maybe give him one pass to change tires over a over a particular season. Or give him two passes if it's a twenty five race season or a twenty three race season. But just let the team spin. Like at the end of the day then then probably can't really blame him. You said can't take any blame quite quite actually. Just be like, oh, you pick the tires, how can you blame me? So yeah. That would be interesting. Te- teams have tire engineers, teams have Yep. Uh, engineers that are specifically designed for strategy. Hand hand it off to them and be like, here, take it and decide. You don't get to you only get two switches at two weekends, and that's it. Yeah. Um, last just thing. Uh, before we <laughs> sign off, um, at the start of the year, I believe we did this in an episode. We uh, agreed that whoever won in the uh, F1 fantasy game would get to make one person do something else. At the end of the year, as a quick update, um, I'm at the top of the table by almost 200 points, <laughs> and Claire's in second. Still a lot to play for. <laughs> yes. Um, Jakob's probably not going to be able to do this, uh, and he's probably going to hate what's going to happen at the end of the year because he's going to have to put on a Max Verstappen shirt <laughs> and say that Max for deserved his 2020, 2021 title. <laughs> <laughs> And I cannot wait for the day where someone, that gets to someone, someone has to get me a Max Oh, yeah, I'll get you one. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep the video of you burning it max, afterward, max, too. Max, 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 max. All right. you, you know, good I'll, just give it one. To, I'll just give it to Jeremy. Yeah. <laughs> I'll first yeah. All right, but that's all we got for you guys today. So um, let us know your thoughts on any of the things going on today. And if you stayed till the end, let me know how you feel about Pirelli. Uh, until then... Oh, we've been switching Slight off who's style? doing this. No, 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 it's her turn. She's yes. the one who started this. Is it my turn? Yeah, it's your turn. And it's lights out.